Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. So today marks the conclusion of a um, season of teaching, really, and um, a season of living that we have been trying to do as a faith community. And um, if you've been on our journey over the last couple of years, you will know that um, we're kind of a biblically teaching church, and we're really trying to delve into the story of God and really understand it. Um, that's really been my grapple to try to figure out what is this story about? What, what is this whole thing about? Um, I think it's a tragedy for us to sing about a Jesus and preach and hear messages about a Jesus and actually not actually really know who he is. So that's really been the heart and really been the intent for us this year. And we've gone through a couple of big series. I've got a first slide coming up. And over the last four years, we kind of went through um, these series. Just the first one there, Olivia. Um, there we go. Do you remember those? Does anyone remember when we went through Mark, according to Mark? This is the great announcement about Jesus the King, according to Mark. We did that years ago. And then after that, we went into Ephesians. Anyone remember Ephesians? Yeah, yeah please say yes. Even if you don't remember, it'll make me feel nice. It's like, yes, Dave. Um, Ephesians. And then we went through Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember that? Yes. The problem with going through Sermon on the Mount, that thing messes you up, doesn't it? Like you go and you start listening to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm not liking what you're saying right now. I want to live this way and you're saying go this way. And this year we um, did a series which is called The Vision of God, which was actually looking at, after the Sermon on the Mount, the next couple of chapters and actually going on a journey, surveying the life of Jesus as he comes down from the mountain and seeing what he does. And lo and behold, very significant. So we went through that. But they're not the only things that we did over the last uh, four years, um, because we've actually had other series which have supplemented um, that as well. And this is kind of the next slide. Like we've, we've done things like, um, like that. Does anyone remember some of those things? The Art of Being Human, Consumed. We were talking about the, um, this attention economy. Everyone aware of that now? So we did a series like on, on, on that kind of stuff, open heart, disruptive witness. What does it mean to live in a world that's being so disrupted, but we, by our very nature, being people of God, demonstrating what it means to be this true humanity, we ourselves can be disruptive in a disruptive world. world you know what I'm saying? So instead of us actually being like victims of this world, how about we live faithfully and in this world and we provide the disruption instead of us being disrupted? That was kind of... I've got to be careful. I'll start going through all these series again. <laughs> Fruit of the Spirit. We had Church Online. Ephesus for Family. We did that recently. Acts at the beginning of this year. The fifth act, which was a key one for us. So we've done a whole bunch of teachings, which has kind of supplemented um, our core teachings. And of course, just coming and learning and reading the Bible, that's like fantastic and that's really good. That is not the point. That is not the point. Unless this is shaping us, it means nothing. You know? Unless we're living out in love, you can have all the knowledge in the world and you sound like a real nasty big gong. Isn't that right? So 
the outworking of that, we've been like living in particular unique ways. And like on the next slide actually has a bit of a picture of some of the things that we kind of uh, been up to over the last four years. And obviously that's just a very, very small amount, but we've done all kinds of crazy things. We've um, done love attacks. We've eaten a lot together. We've had bonfires. We've prayed together. We've got our home groups and other groups and, and all these kind of stuff. We've um, had Easter out in the park. Do you remember that this year? That was great, wasn't it? You know, that was fantastic. We've closed down services. People have rocked up the church and church is closed because we've been doing other things. So what we've been trying to do, um, well, at least in my mind, is like, what does it look like for us as a church to be faithful? And um, I've had this, um, this picture in my mind and I actually read it recently in a book. The same metaphor was like, um, I heard it a while back. It said, like, if you want to learn how to play chess... You've got to learn how to play without the queen. So what I've been trying to like kind of imagine, like what would church look like if we actually took away the queen, which is the Sunday service? So not be so dependent and reliant on a Sunday service as important as that is. So we've been doing things like assisting chaplains and um, teachers and, and churches and pastors. This year we were blessed to bring an altar one. Um, we've been providing food for the community, vouchers for the community. We've been doing all this kind of stuff. And um, suffice to say that over the last 10 years, God has been doing a lot of shaping of this church. He's been doing a lot of reframing. I think that if you've been journeying with us, um, there should have been this notion that I'm having to unlearn a lot of things. You know, I remember um, as we were going through the Gospel of Mark, I remember a conversation with Trev. And Trev was saying to me, Dave, you just need to understand that it's so hard to unlearn what I've learned to learn this new stuff. And I just said, Trev, this isn't new stuff. This is the original stuff. And that's really what we're wanting to do, to make sure that we are going back to the original stuff. As good as tradition is, well, maybe not always, we want to actually go back to the source, to the original stuff. So God's been doing a lot of that stuff. God's even been renaming us as a church. And as we head into um, 2023, um, I really feel that things are going to be getting a lot more grittier for us. Does anyone like that word grit? I like grit. Because um, it means like you kind of get your hands dirtier. It's organic. I read the gospel and it's like it's like this messy, messy, messy thing. So next year we're going to be getting a little more grittier. In fact, in February when I come back, we're going to be heading into this series. Just the next slide there, Olivia. And um, it's going to be um, fantastic. Um, and, and we're going to be um, looking at even like doing the communication a little bit differently and all that. But that, I, I'm actually really excited about that. I could start that series right now if you wanted. But that would mean I'd have to come back next week and a week after. So that's where we're kind of heading um, into February. And I really believe that God is actually going to challenge and call us to go deeper, to go further, to go wider. Because we are actually stepping on a foundation that has been laid for 10 years. So when we come back in 2023, please don't think that it's going to be 2012 for those of us who were here in 2012. No, 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 no. 2012 has come and it is gone. 2017 has come and it is gone. 2022 has almost gone and we're about to step into 2023 and we are to step forward from the foundation that has already been laid and has already been set. So that is where we're going. But for now, we're still in 22. I thought I'd give you just a quick recap of some of the things that we've learned over the last four years. Are you okay with that? Yeah. 
beautiful. Let's go back to that original slide, Olivia, with those four themes over there. The first one, according to Mark, I wonder if anyone even remembers that, the Gospel of Mark. The reason why we went through the Gospel of Mark is because it is the shortest. <laughs> and it still took a full year to only get through half of it. The Gospel of Mark. This Gospel begins by actually saying, this is the great announcement of Jesus, the King, or as what our Bible's translated, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And this is the story, these four Gospels in particular, we looked at Mark, this is the story of Jesus. And that was the intent. We want to understand the story of Jesus. What is Jesus up to anyway? Why is he doing all this random stuff? You know, we want to know what that is. Jesus had one solitary message. One message. Could you imagine? Ten years, Dave gets up every Sunday and just preaches the same message over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And unknown to you, I actually do that over and over again. There is one life message which I keep speaking from different angles, different facets. And I'm hoping that we're kind of getting it. But Jesus had one message, and it's this, found in Mark 1, um, verse 14 to 15, later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. This is the message. The time promised by God has, uh, has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. So this is the one message that Jesus is proclaiming. In fact, it's the one message that he's still proclaiming. It's the one message that we're really proclaiming. It's a message of invitation. It's an invitation for anyone who hears or anyone who has the audacity, anyone who has the courage to step into the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is a realm where God reigns. Any realm, that's what it is. That's what heaven is. It's a place where God reigns. Think about this. In any situation that you're in, whether your family, workplace, imagine this. What would it look like if Jesus was king in this situation? If you can imagine it, work with the Holy Spirit to outwork that, and that is actually being part of the kingdom of God. But this is the one message which he has. What would it look like if Jesus is king? And he gives this word repent, and like we've been saying for a couple of years now, Christians, we've got a bunch of baggage, eh? We've got words, we've got baggage. That word repent, man, it's got some baggage, eh? Man, sad thing is, it's the most beautiful word. Because it's a word of invitation. That word repent literally means to rethink. It means to reimagine. It means to reorder your life. In light of what you've now heard, rethink everything in your life and start walking in that direction. It is an invitation. It's like this huge door. It's like these doors. The Lord just comes and flings wide open the doors and we've got all this baggage and we're like, ooh, repent. Um, But it's a word of invitation. In fact, as followers of Jesus Christ, our daily lives should be a life of repentance. Every day we should be seeing, we should be beholding, we should be learning something new of the kingdom of God. And in light of what I now know, I need to rethink everything I've done up until this point. That is repentance. Rethink, reimagine. So Jesus has this one message, the kingdom. And the question is, like, how does Jesus' kingdom actually break forth? And in the Gospels, we actually see that it's quite interesting how Jesus' kingdom seems to break forth. In every Gospel, there's a moment where it says that Jesus' eyes are fixed on Jerusalem. And you may think, oh, oh well, doesn't mean too much. Wait a minute. For any king 
who set their eyes on Jerusalem, there was one thing they had in their mind. And that one thing they had in their mind in the ancient world was this, my coronation service. Coronation service. So what kings would do, they would say, I'm I'm the rightful king, or at least I'm going to be the next king. So I'm going to head to the city where I'm going to have my coronation service. And as he goes on his way, he starts rallying people, and he goes from town to town to village to village. And this is, what, this is what other kings used to do. They would go from one village to another village to another village. And pretty much the message was, you're either with us or you're against us. And if you're against us, right, come with us. And they use force. Jesus, very interesting. He goes from village to village proclaiming this new kingdom, heading towards his coronation service. And as he goes from village to village, town to town, what does he do? He heals. He delivers. He restores. He gives dignity. He takes those who are on the fringe and brings them to the center. He creates this family, this community. Maybe that's something that we should actually be looking at as we go from place to place, village to village, cul-de-sac to cul-de-sac, that we need to be people who actually have the same project of flourishing, of flourishment, and as we go, we bring healing in the name of Jesus. We bring restoration in the name of Jesus. We restore dignity in the name of Jesus. Maybe instead of creating enemies, we need to actually look upon um, people and see them as just incredible, loving people. This is what Jesus does as he goes from place to place. And as he goes from place to place, Jesus is restoring this new, this true humanity. In fact, in the gospel, one of the key moments, the gospel of Mark, one of the key moments was in Mark chapter 3. I don't expect you to remember, it was four years ago. But in Mark chapter 3, Jesus gets rejected by almost everyone in one moment. Like if we had to have that scene on the stage, you would have all the main characters on the stage at the one time. The teachers of the law come from Jerusalem. They weren't just walking by. They intensely came. You have Jesus' family who are on the stage as well. You have Jesus' own mother. And they're saying, this guy is out of his mind. In fact, they go a little bit further and say, this guy's possessed by the devil. And how does Jesus respond? Well, Jesus responds with a parable. Right? In the Gospel of Mark, you want to be careful when Jesus responds with parables. That means you've done something probably to tick him off. <laughs> right? Jesus starts talking to you in parables. Whoa, Lord, what have I done? Talks about parable of the soils. Right? Speaks it, bit of a riddle, bit of a parable. Disciples come to him afterwards and, and Jesus says to him, like, like, you need to understand, this is the kingdom of God. And he explains that this is what's happening. And he actually adds this little um, picture at the end of this dialogue. And he says, having eyes, they can't see. Having ears, they can't hear. And that sounds odd until you realize that's a picture that comes from Isaiah and actually from the prophets. What has an eye and can't see? What has an ear and can't hear? That's an idol. It's a statue. What Jesus is saying that by rejecting me, which all of them did in chapter 3, what's actually happening? When you reject me, you start having eyes, but you can't see. You start having ears and you can't hear. In other words, the rejection of my teaching leads you down a road of dehumanization. You become less and less and less human because humans have eyes, right? Humans have ears. Interesting in the Gospels how Jesus goes about healing blindness and deafness. That's very significant. Right? So it makes sense, right, that if rejecting the words of Jesus leads you down a road of dehumanization, that if you turned around and you accepted and received, your heart's a good soil, 
If that way is dehumanization, what do you reckon this path is? Becoming truly human. That's what Jesus is doing. He's actually leading us down a road where we are flourishing and we're becoming truly human. That's why in our purpose statement, it's about becoming truly human. What are we as a church supposed to be doing? Living in such a way, introducing people to Jesus so they become truly human. Truly human. Isn't that what people are crying out for? They want to feel alive, so they go skydiving. There are better ways to feel alive. You know, I'm like, I'm just going to follow the Lord. You can go jump out of a plane. You know what I'm saying? But that's what Jesus is doing. It's this incredible, incredible message of flourishing. Um, And I think sometimes we get it, oh, we get it so drastically wrong sometimes. So that's the gospel according to Mark. The next one was Ephesians. Ephesians. And we call this mystery revealed. As we open up Ephesians, we talked about the Apostle Paul. We said, um, imagine if you had one last kick of the can. You knew your end was coming and you had one opportunity, one moment to communicate what you deem as the most important, one last opportunity. And the medium you had was to write a letter. What would you do? Welcome to the book that we call Ephesians. That is how it has come about. This is Paul's last kick of the can. What is he wanting to communicate to us? Ephesians 1 verse 9 to 11 reads like this. It says, God has now revealed to us his his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. All right. I mean, sometimes like, God, you're such a mystery. And the Lord's saying, I wrote it right there. This is the plan. (laughs) It can't be more clear than this. This is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. I mean, if I was to ask you, or if someone else asked you, what is the grand story of the Bible? What would you say? I think a lot of people might say, you know, this is about my personal salvation with the Lord. And guess what? That's not what the main story of the Bible is about. In an individualistic culture, that makes complete sense. And the story does involve your salvation and my salvation, but the grand narrative is not that go to any English teacher and you take a novel and, and he or she will say, you know what, if you want to know what this is about, you better check out the topic sentence. And the Bible has a topic sentence. Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. What is the story about? It's about heaven and earth. That's what the story is about. The story is about heaven and earth coming together. Something happened and now God is in the process of bringing all that back together. God's in the process of bringing stuff together, principalities and powers and, and all these other characters which you can't necessarily see. They're trying to rip it apart. But we as people of Shalom, resurrection people, the church, we are to put it back together. So from Genesis, God sets out his purpose, the way he's going to do this. And he, and he sets out this plan. He says the way he's going to do this, he's going to establish his reign through his people. Isn't that good to know? That's awesome to know. I mean, like, personally, that's good to know. Like, God's looking at me and says, okay, Dave, this is my plan. I want my reign to spread throughout the entire world. I'm like, that's a good plan, God. That's a thumbs up, two thumbs up. (laughs) And he says, here's the deal. 
I'm going to do it through you. I'm like, what? I mean, the humility of God. I mean, like, seriously, if I was God, I'd be like, no, nah, I've got this. <laughs> like, you sit down. <laughs> Dave, you sit over there. Just sit down. Dave, sit. <laughs> Watch Daddy. <laughs> but he's not like that, right? And in that context, these other verses make sense. Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So God's plan is to establish his reign throughout the world, but he's going to use you. And that, by the way, is the glory of God. You know how the prophets say that the glory of God's going to spread over the earth like the waters over the sea? How do you think that's going to happen? When people all over the world are actually going to return to their original vocation, where they live in such a way, where they're partnering with God, where his reign is literally happening in and through their work. And Paul says in Ephesians, because this humanity has now been restored, we've now got good works to do, which he planned long ago. Of course, long ago, because this is his plan all the time. This is his plan the whole way. This is his plan. This is what he wants to get about doing. And what happens when we start living in this fully restored humanity, in this family, this odd bunch, this motley crew, these bits that don't belong together, but because of the Holy Spirit and the victory of Jesus Christ, we come together and we belong to each other. What happens? Well, I mentioned it in the open time, Ephesians 3 verse 10, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. One quote which we've used a few times is from Fred Lehman. And he said this, is that God purposes to set new creation in the midst of the old, to redeem people in the midst of the fallen, to love in the midst of hostility, self-abasement in the midst of self-assertion, submission in the midst of domination, to humanize and redeem fallen structures. So what does it mean to be this new humanity? Actually, what does it mean to be Christian? It means that we are to rehearse over and over again what the victory of Jesus Christ has accomplished. That means coming together as brothers and sisters in Christ, whether it be young, old, different color, I like the fact that we got like a lot of different colors yeah. in this church. Bring it on. I need some more chocolate brothers. Yeah? Yeah? <laughs> I've been to churches with just one color. I'm like, I'm, I love you, but like a little diversity, a little pops of color be good. But as we come together, we call each other brothers and sisters. That's rehearsing the victory of Jesus Christ. That's why we can't take it lightly, you see. That's why we need to be committed to it, you see. Because that's what it means to be a Christian, right? God's reign is outworked in this earth through his church, through us. It means that we as a church, we've got some work to do. Awesome. We've got some incredible work to do. We've got things to do. We've got great stuff to do. I'm going to be gone for three and a half months. Guess what? You've got some work to do. When I come back, you've got some work to do. As we step into the season after that, guess what? You're going to have some work to do. We're always going to have work to do. Step into the eternity with the Lord. Guess what? We're still going to have some work to do. Amen? But we've got some work to do. Isn't that a great thing? But how awesome to be able to do this work, which has this purpose of establishing the reign of God in Armadale, in Gosnells, doing it together. Right? That's awesome. I think that's awesome. 
Yeah? And as we do this, we are faithfully living this life and we demonstrate the wisdom of God to the principalities and the powers that are literally trying to dehumanize and rip apart the plan of God. So God is bringing everything together. Are we? Or do we get trapped and we start ripping things apart? Because that's what kids do sometimes, right? Especially when they're young. Like you could put something together like, Daddy made this great Lego building. And your kid comes in now. Don't you remember that? I remember like one of the big um, objectives, like, like for little kids, you build something as big as you can, and they come along and smash it down. Isn't that right? It's because they're young. Now, now, if you did something like that, like you could see some amazing sculptures and Lego and all that. Could you imagine doing that now? And you had like someone who's in their 30s or 40s and come and say, rah, rah, rah. "That's just a sign of immaturity, right?" But we, as those who are growing in maturity, we're not about ripping things apart. We're partnering with the Lord who is reconciling all things. He's putting all things together. Amen? That's what we do. Nice to have a recap, eh? Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. A couple of years ago, we went through Sermon on the Mount. And um, as we started this, as I started um, studying for the Sermon on the Mount, I was like, oh man, I wish, I just wish it didn't start the Sermon on the Mount. You know, Jesus, start talking about money and lust and anger and all this, Jesus, all these things. I'm like, Jesus, sometimes it's just nice to be angry with someone, you know? Sometimes it just, sometimes, sometimes it just feels good. Don't, don't you reckon? <laughs> Started off that series um, just really encouraging everyone to get a little devotional by um, Sky Jathani. And um, it's a great devotional. Some people still um, go through it. I think Jaron, he's a bit of a fan of Sky Jathani's. What if Jesus was serious? That's the name of the book. And he starts off his devotion with um, this quote, maybe the observation. He says this. What is the underlying malady afflicting Christians today? Isn't that we take Jesus too seriously, but that we fail to take him seriously enough? What if much of the culture's judgment on Christians isn't a result of obeying Jesus, but the result of, G- of Christians ignoring him? <laughs> Thank you, Sky. <laughs> what do we need to take seriously about Jesus? This is what the Sermon on the Mount was about. Jesus' one message is the kingdom of God is here. So repent, an open invitation. This new world has now opened up to us and we are invited to step in and explore to navigate through. It's going to require that we're going to have to take off some old things because those things that were necessary while living in this current age are going to be um, pretty hard work if we keep them on while we're a brand, exploring a brand new world. I have this kind of picture in my mind, like imagine if you lived your whole life in um, the South Pole. There's certain clothing that you needed, right? There's certain things that you probably need for your own protection and actually longevity. But imagine in a moment you got transported from the South Pole to Hawaii and you try to keep on that old, that, that old clothing. Man, that's going to wear you out, isn't it? You're going to get a little bit hot under the collar, probably going to kill you. So as we step into a brand new world, it makes complete sense. I now need to take off that clothing, which may have been necessary in like Antarctica. But now that I'm in Hawaii... I need to get those crazy t-shirts on. 
Have you noticed in the Bible how there's this language of take off the old, put on the new. Take off the old man, put on the new. That's what we're talking about. We're in a brand new world. You're going to need brand new clothing. Otherwise, it's going to be hard work. So we're invited into this new world. And because of that, we need to live a different way. Because you can't live in Hawaii as if you were in Antarctica. You can't live in the kingdom of God as if you're back in the world. It's just not going to work for you. Right? Certain people actually venture through the door of invitation. And we found this in the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount are a caricature or a, um, a snapshot of the kind of people that you will see in the kingdom of God. It was kind of like these characteristics. And straight off the bat is the first one upon which everything else lies. The people in the kingdom, they look like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are in the kingdom, those who have accepted the invitation, those who have had the audacity to step and to follow Jesus and walk into this brand new world and discover incredible flourishing um, in it, they all have the same thing in common. You have the same thing in common as me. We are all poor in spirit. We are all bankrupt before God. If we were going to make any boast, the boast should be, Hobie, I am poorer in spirit than what you are. I mean, you look poor, man. (laughs) But you're not as poor as me. Could you imagine if we actually boasted that way? Instead of like, man, I know more of the Bible than you. Do you actually know the story though? You've memorized more of the Bible, but do you understand it? Two different things, right? But imagine if we made that boast. Mitch, man, you poor. Look at you poor thing. You ain't as poor as me. And because we are poor in spirit, we celebrate. It's like, my goodness, we're invited into the kingdom. Amazing. Awesome. So what is the Sermon on the Mount all about, these people who have been invited and now in? Well, you can't understand the Sermon on the Mount. You can't understand the story of Jesus if you don't understand Israel's scriptures because Jesus is the fulfillment, the teleos of Israel's scriptures. Let me just break it down like this. Israel was in slavery under Egypt. Anyone watch the Ten Commandments in their time? Prince of Egypt, all that kind of stuff. God delivers them through the Exodus, right? After being delivered from slavery... Moses goes up a mountain and he hears from God. God speaks to Moses from up on the mountain. And what does God give to Moses? Instruction. What is the instruction for? It's called Torah. It is instruction for how they are to live in their newfound freedom. Because they've never been free before. They've only known slavery. So in order to live in freedom, live this way. Doesn't sound like a harsh thing to me. It's talking about eating, celebrations, like, um, like making sure like you um, um, build your house properly. You fast track to um, Jesus because the Israel project actually does fail. You fast track to Jesus, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus goes up on a mountain. Funny that. Interesting. Who speaks though? I mean, with Moses, Yahweh speaks. Jesus up on a mountain. Who speaks? Jesus. Oh, that's interesting. Moses goes up on a mountain. Yahweh speaks and gives his instruction. Jesus goes up on the mountain. Jesus speaks and gives his instruction. Hmm, interesting. What's happening here? And what is this instruction? This is how to live in freedom. 
because now we have entered into a brand new world called the kingdom of heaven. You can't keep living as if you're back in Antarctica when you're in Hawaii, right? You can't keep living this way when you're in the kingdom of God because it's going to lay you down and it's simply not going to work. It's, going to like, it's just not going to work. So this is instruction of how to be wise. Jesus says, this is how you can be wise. Anyone who listens to my teaching. And everyone is like, what? Who does this guy think he is? That was crazy, crazy, crazy talk. But what if Jesus was serious? What if we actually did take him seriously? Well, I would submit to us, New Spring, that we would be living in greater freedom. And sometimes the things that we are struggling with, the things that we feel that we're entangled with right now, if we actually backtrack and go to the words of Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to take you seriously because evidently I haven't. And that's not to say that things aren't going to, like, some things aren't going to happen in your life because no one can escape this world at the moment. But you will live in greater freedom. Why is it, I sometimes wonder, why is it that so many times you look at someone who professes to be a Christian and you look at the rest of the world, it's like, I'm not sure I see too much of a difference here. You know? Like, it's almost like that Sesame Street thing, like one of these things is not like the other one, but we're kind of looking like all of these things look exactly the same. You know what I'm saying? Possibly we haven't taken Jesus seriously. And it's not a harsh thing. Repentance is a beautiful word of invitation, of opportunity. Obeying Jesus, listening to Jesus, is actually the road to becoming more human. Rejection of Jesus, as we said, is you have eyes, you can't see, you have ears, you can't hear, it's dehumanization. Following Jesus is greater freedom. The series on the Sermon on the Mount was about the instruction of Jesus. It was about living in freedom. That's what it was. And this year we went to our last one, Vision of God down from the mountain. And again, what we um, went through is as Jesus finishes giving his teachings on the Sermon on the Mount, he comes down the mountain and he does some really, really interesting, interesting things. So if the Sermon on the Mount was to highlight what we need to take seriously about Jesus, this series was about why we should do that. Why we should do that. This series was about paying attention to how Matthew, what Matthew tells us about Jesus. And again, you need to know Israel's story. Jesus is up on the mountain, right? He comes down on the mountain, and for some reason, he does like these 10 mighty deeds. For some reason. Moses goes to deliver Israel from Egypt. God's mighty arm moves, and there are 10 mighty deeds. You see Jesus doing some things that only Yahweh can do. Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount saying, anyone who listens to my words, they're going to be wise. He elevates his teaching, his words to that of Torah. And even in his teaching, he doesn't refer to any other rabbis. This is unheard of. People are amazed. They're going, what in the world is this? This guy speaks with such authority. Of course he does. And in their mind, the question will be, well, who does he think he is? 
Well, Matthew lets us know as he comes down the mountain, this is a vision of God. As Jesus comes down the mountain, no, Yahweh comes down. This was a series that's to lift our eyes to higher Christology, to see Jesus as Yahweh. He is Yahweh. This is what Matthew's been telling us. Interesting, the way that uh, Jesus is prophetic in Matthew and the way that he's fulfilling scriptures, if you read, if you understand it, he is actually walking out the story of Israel throughout the entirety of Matthew. It's incredible. He is walking this out. And it's, if, if the Sermon on the Mount was to highlight and let us know what it is that we are to take seriously, how we are supposed to live so that we live in greater freedom, well, this series lets us know this is why we really should pay attention. Because when we hear the voice of Jesus, we are listening to Yahweh himself. So if you've been journeying with us over the last four years, I mean, that was a bit of a short recap. Did you enjoy that recap? Was any of that, like, familiar? Thank you. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. If you've been journeying with us, and you do have a posture of a disciple, and again, disciple is one of those Christian words, which means apprentice. Anyone who's in an apprenticeship or has done an apprenticeship understands the notion, the idea, the premise of being an apprentice. We're learners. We've got a teacher. We haven't got it all figured out. The moment we think you've got it figured out, man, you've stopped being a disciple, right? So if you have that posture of actually being a disciple, I've always got stuff to learn. I've so much more to learn. Then the last four years would have radically changed your life. They have indelibly changed mine. The world's shaken at the moment, isn't it? Our world shouldn't be shaking at the moment. We should be more established than ever. In a culture that's questioning, I think that going through this last four years, in in a world that's questioning more, we should have so much compassion for the questions. I want to have, I want to have compassion for people who are questioning. Like even like followers of Jesus, like especially there seems to be this younger crew and they're going through this, the, the term of the, the, the fad term at the moment is called de- deconstruction, which literally means just repentance. De- deconstruction. I want to be close enough with people who are deconstructing and help them reconstruct. Because I want to acknowledge and recognize that I myself, as your senior pastor, I am continually deconstructing because every day I'm seeing something new from the kingdom. And when I see something new of the kingdom, I need to rethink, I need to reimagine, I need to repent. So when the world is asking more questions, I think we should have greater compassion. And there's a whole scope of questions, isn't there? When people are asking questions, that's not the time to start throwing stones. I don't think so. Like I said, other kings go from town to town, village to village, saying you're either with me or against me. Jesus goes from town to town, village to village, healing, restoring, casting out demons, restoring humanity. It kind of just makes sense that we should probably follow Jesus. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) In an environment that's addicted to offense, we should have matured. At least a little bit. 
Jesus says, don't take any offense. Man, I'm going to pick that sucker up. Not only that, man, I'm going to pick up, I'm going to pick up Lee's offense for him as well. And all of this is supposed to shape us so that the world would see and that the world would know God, right? How? When they see this unified group of people who call each other family, demonstrating a different way of being human, when they see that we aren't self-seeking, that we don't feel like we're entitled to anything, it's by grace, there ain't no entitlement, if any time, it's, it's, human, it's just human to feel entitlement, by the way. But any time, if you're in this church and you feel entitled to something, word of advice, put it down. No one's entitled in this place. Not even me. I'm the least entitled. We're not entitled to anything. We don't lust for religious or political power. We continually rehearse the victory of the cross by coming together, by delighting in each other, by loving each other, um, by eating together, by camping, and all this kind of stuff. We continually do that. When they see us faithful to that kind of living, they see God. How will the world know that your mind, Jesus said, by the way you love each other? That's it. So I would pray and I would hope that the last four years has shaped us in this way. Because we are the church of Jesus Christ collectively. And that is not a small thing. That is a huge thing. It's a huge vision to the point where it demonstrates the manifold wisdom of God to the principalities and the powers of this present evil age. It is a huge, huge thing. And I pray that the last four years have stamped that in your mind, in your soul, in your body, and in this community. And um, I pray that as we kick on, that we will actually build on this foundation that has now been established, that is firming up, and who knows where the Lord would actually take us into the future. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. Then I'm going to pray for our leadership team. And then um, we're going to take communion. Thank you, Lord. Father, we